Matthew 18. We made it to Matthew chapter 18. Um, let's read Matthew 18 starting in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom temptation comes. Father, thank you for your word. That we can live by it. That we can be instructed by it, corrected by it. Holy Spirit, this morning I pray that you give us understanding, that you open our hearts to receive instruction. Um, Lord, don't let it be my words and ideas that, that come through, but let your word be understood. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we start chapter 18 with this question. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's the best? Who's the greatest? Chapter 18 as a whole. We're going to take a few weeks to get through it. No surprise there. Chapter 18, Jesus is going to deal with the sin, deal with sin and the sinner. His treatment of sin and the sinner within the kingdom of heaven. Right? The context of the kingdom of heaven. Um, kingdom of heaven, when we talk about that, what, what do you mean kingdom of heaven? Uh, this is what, what Jesus and John the Baptist saying is, kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And once Jesus died and was raised, uh, and Jesus was placed in the position of authority, that was the onset of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, right now, it's not a physical kingdom that can be touched, but it is a kingdom that exists within the hearts of every person who believes in Christ. Jesus is the king within the kingdom of heaven. It is a heavenly kingdom. It will one day have an earthly presence, dominion here on earth, right? Um, but right now it is something within our hearts. So when we're talking about within the context of the kingdom of heaven, what we're talking about is within the context of believers, right? Uh, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. He is their King, their Lord and Savior. There is sin within the kingdom of heaven. You know that? When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for our sin. And, and by faith in Jesus Christ, my sin is forgiven. My sin is paid for. I'm justified. Um, and I am his child. I am secure in that. I am within his hand. It, it is his power that, that keeps me within his family. Um, but I continue to struggle with sin. You continue to struggle with sin. Uh, and First John says, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. <laughs> That's a sin, you know, to lie. 
But, but we struggle with sin, and, and, and we deal also with each other, sinners. And so in chapter 18, Jesus is going to deal with the treatment of sin and the sinner within the kingdom, starting with this question from his disciples. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Um, now, Matthew, as he does often, he kind of summarizes things. Uh, if we go to the other Gospels, we get a little bit more detailed picture of what's going on uh, here or the events leading up to it. So they are coming down into Galilee, into Capernaum, um, probably to the house of Peter there in Capernaum. And it's along the way that Jesus' disciples are arguing among themselves who's the greatest. And you might guess why that was an argument. Peter, James, and John just got to go have this wonderful experience with Jesus on a mountaintop in the Transfiguration. And they, the rest of them got left out. And the last, rest of them, while Peter, James, and John are doing that, they're trying to cast out a demon. They can't do it. What does that cause within a group of teenagers? Arguments over who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who's going to be the one that's here? Right? That's what was going on. And so they've been having this argument and when they get there to the house, probably Peter's house, Jesus asks them. He knows what they've been talking about. He asks them what they've been talking about. And they don't answer. They don't want to say what they That's kind of what sin is like for us, too. You kind of, it's a telltale that something might not be right. If you're not willing to say it, you're hiding it. That is our natural go-to place with sin, is to hide, right? If I'm hiding, there's probably something not right. Well, they didn't want to say. And so what does Jesus do? Well, he puts a child in the midst of him. What he actually, what the other one, Gospels indicate is that he sits down and invites a child into his lap right there in the midst of them. My guess, it's probably Peter's kid, right? He's there in Peter's house. Probably a little child, belongs to Peter. And what does he say? And verse 2, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You'll never enter. Here's how he, he knows what's in their hearts. And he grabs a child. They've been arguing, who's the greatest? And you have to understand their perspective of children is different than how we see children. We actually put children up on a pedestal. We celebrate, you know, when, when a child speaks up and our, our child does well in sports. You know, that we, children were at the bottom socially, right? If, if I'm saying who's the greatest, a child is the least, right? And, and culturally, it was a little different than how we would see that. And, and so just understand, he's bringing the least, the one who's culturally despised. Later on, uh, when people are trying to bring their kids to Jesus or their infants to Jesus for him to put their hands on them, the disciples are like, get out of here, right? Children don't, they're not the valued ones. There's a different way of thinking than we are culturally today. And so Jesus is meeting their condition, who's the greatest, by bringing the least, setting him on his lap and saying, unless you become like children... You won't even be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And in the Greek, he uses a double negative. Ume, you will absolutely not enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like children. He says something similar in the Sermon on the Mount. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you, ume, you will absolutely not enter the kingdom of heaven. But here he's dealing with their pride. Unless you become like a child. In what sense like a child? He's not pointing at the, the, an inherent purity or innocence of a child. That's not what he's looking at. It's, it's in contrast. He said, unless you turn, repent from what you're doing right now. Who's the greatest? Who's the best? Who, who stands up great and has the most esteem in, in God's sight, right? Unless you turn from that and have the humility, the lowest state of a child. What, what is the state of a child? Complete dependence on their parent, right? They, they, they can't make anything of themselves. They, they can't bring themselves to some position of greatness. They're, they're not trying to work that out. That's what we do later in life. A child is just, they're completely dependent on their parent. Trusting whatever their parent says. They're not questioning what their parent says is right. That's their only source is their parent. Absolute, dependent, lowest, humblest place. He takes this child and says, unless you become like this child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's true for us. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount starts with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Bankrupt of spirit. There is nothing that I have. If we're going to try to compare who's the greatest in the kingdom, I am the, the least because I realize that there is nothing that I have that allows me God's favor. Right? To become like children is necessary. That's what faith in Jesus Christ is about. And here's the first point in the notes. If you're following in the notes, only by complete dependence on Christ. That's faith, complete, just like a child. I need to become like a child where if I'm answering the question, here's the question for you. If you were to stand before God today and he was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? Maybe you've been in the church long enough to know what the right answer is with your mouth. But in your heart, is any part of your answer holding out that there's something good about me? There's something that's going to earn me favor with God, a position, right? It's what was in the heart of the disciples. Who's the greatest? But there's something within me. Yeah, things will work out. I'm a good enough person. I've done good things. I can compare myself to someone else. That's exactly what the disciples are doing. If any bit of that is still in your heart, you haven't truly surrendered to Christ. That's what faith in Christ is. I can't do it. I have nothing. It is complete dependence on you, Lord Jesus, for salvation. Faith alone. And that's what Jesus is saying here, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom. I think this is ultimately 
the struggle, the final struggle. I see people coming, they're getting to know Christianity, they're getting to know Christ, they're getting to know the fellowship of the believers, and there's something attractive in that. But this is the last struggle. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless you surrender completely to Christ. If you're still holding out, there's something that I've got. There's something that, that gives me position with God. It'll work out. Maybe, maybe the family I grew up in is Christian. Hey, kids of mine, it doesn't matter that your dad's a pastor. That doesn't gain you any favor in the kingdom. It's important for my kids to know that. You have to be able to set all that down. What, what are you going to add? Lay it down. There is nothing but Jesus Christ. If you can come to that point, that is when it all changes. Jesus, my Lord and Savior, and I, I begin to walk in His grace and mercy. Well, Jesus does answer the question, who is the greatest? That's what he does next here in verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child, I can picture him, little kid on his knee, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You want to answer that question? Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest. This is the economy of the kingdom of heaven. It's opposite of what we're used to. The last is first. The first is last. The least is the one who is humbled is exalted. The one, the one who is least of all, servant of all. If you want to lead, then you be the servant of all. Jesus is a perfect example of this. He didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped, but what? He laid it down. He, he took on the form of a servant. He even went all the way to the cross. The one who's perfect, who, who is not deserving of sin, but took our sin upon himself. You can't go further than that in humbling yourself. And in the economy of the, the kingdom of God, Jesus, as the example, who humbled himself to that extent, has now been raised up by the Father to be the one who is above all, whose name is above all names, right? This is how the kingdom works. And so Jesus says, you want to know who's the greatest in the kingdom? It's the one who humbles himself like a child who's completely dependent on Christ. I've got nothing. If there's any of you among you 12 disciples who's like, nope, y'all are better than me. I'm, I'm the least of all you. Well, that's probably your one whose heart is in the right place that God would say, all right, that's what pleases me, right? This is how it works in the church. The warning that we have in church not to put people into leadership position quickly is why? Because of a natural tendency within us of pride. We're not ready. God, we have to go through the fire of being humbled before we're even ready because there's pride ready and it doesn't ever go away. There's constant temptation to pride, right? And, and that's, a, that's a fall. That's a stumbling block.
So in the kingdom, you'll see God bringing stuff into our lives to humble us, and it is His good purpose so that He can use us, right? In complete dependence on Him, not somehow thinking, hey, look how great I am. As a pastor, I'll feel like, hey, that Sunday went great. And the temptation of pride comes in. Oh, yeah, look how great. And then I have to remember two days before how I was desperate on my knees. God, show me what it is you want to teach out of this passage. Oh, wait a second. That wasn't me. You answered my prayer. We have to be desperately dependent on Christ. Well, now he's going to talk about pride and humility, how that works out within the kingdom, how we treat each other. Uh, look in verse 5. We're going to start with humility. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. What, is he still talking about the child on his knee? Uh, no, he just talked about you've got to become like a child in order to enter the kingdom. Uh, when Jesus, many places, talks about little ones, you're the little ones, the ones who have become nothing, who have become uh, children before God, who have put their full dependence on God. We're little ones. We live as little ones. Jesus is the great one. We are the little ones. And, and here, uh, uh, Matthew's condensing some things here, but, but, and, and you can get into it more in the other Gospels, but what he's talking about now is shifted to other believers. Whoever receives one such child, this is one who has become a child, who has entered the kingdom. This is a believer. This is you and me having put our trust in Jesus. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. What does he mean, receive? You ever been in a, a room and it's just obvious Everybody wants to get to know the one person. They need to be known and to know the one person, right? That's the person of advantage. That's the person that if you know them, you're special. You kind of, right? And in that context, most people are ignoring anyone who is the wallflower, who's just, you know, not real confident to talk. Um, who are they receiving? They're receiving the one that's to their advantage to receive, right? The one, and, and, or maybe someone has a need, right? But it's the person everybody likes or everyone uh, wants to know or be known by and, oh, let's help that person in their need. We'd love to do that. But what about that person that almost nobody knows who has a need to help them? This is what he's talking about, to receive to love. And he says, whoever loves the little ones, the least, the ones who are humble, the ones who are not counted high but are counted low, receives me. You know what it takes to love the least? It takes humility. And that's the second point. It takes humility to love the least. The least won't advance your cause. It's not going to position you into some special place. 
It's not going to help you to be noticed. If you have a prideful agenda, the least are not going to help you with that. Pride in the flesh is always there. Deceitful. Ready to destroy our ability to truly love our brothers and sisters. It gets in the way. We have to humble ourselves to truly be able to love our brothers and sisters. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, Jesus says. There's the glory in it. You receive the least. Who are you receiving? Jesus. Here's the third point. We need to not miss this. Loving the least is loving Christ. I'm thinking humility and pride. It takes humility to truly love those in the body of Christ. But when I do that, I am loving Christ. Let's jump forward a little bit. We'll get to Matthew chapter 25 someday. But we'll look at it ahead of time. Matthew chapter 25 um, in verse 34. You've got those on his right and his left. And he's about to talk to those on his right. The king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit, <clears throat> inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. <clears throat> for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. This is Jesus speaking, the king. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? <clears throat> the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. That's what Jesus is talking about. You receive a child such as this. You receive the least of these. You are receiving me. There's a glory in that. So we need to give up personal ambition. You have, a, you have ambition here. That, you know, I'm, I want to have this position to be seen by others in a certain way. Just give it up. That's not, that's not going to put you in a place to love others, to love Christ. Let your brother and sister in Christ be your ambition. Even if no one else sees it, no one else knows it. Who, who sees it? Thank you. Who sees it? God does. Who will remember it? Isn't this cool? Jesus remembers it. 
that one time that no one even knew it, but you reached out to the least of these and you, you cared for them, you provided for them, you did something just to help out, and you can just know the glory that your Father sees it, and Jesus later on is going to be able to say, when you did that, you were blessing me, you were receiving me, you were clothing me, you were taking care of my need. Well, we need to get rid of personal ambition, pride. Pride has a different effect within the body. Quite a different effect. And I think that's what we get in contrast. Uh, Matthew, in his account, pushes these things together. There's, there's two separate parts here, but he pushes them together because I think he wants us to see the contrast, it's all one sentence here. Um, in verse 5, whoever receives one ch such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones, believers, right? One of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come. It's necessary. But woe to the one by whom temptations come. Temptations to sin. This is within the kingdom, right? We're talking about brothers and sisters Sin and the sinner within the kingdom. When we allow pride to just hold on, we won't let go. Our agenda is more important. How people see us is more important. We're not willing to just be broken. Say, no, I was wrong. Right? See, pride has this agenda to, to, to glorify self, to lift self up, to hide anything that would go against the glory of who I am. We, we want to hide our faults. That's natural. That is, uh, pride is the natural course. If we just don't have any intention in what we do, we will act out of pride. We, we don't want people to see our faults. But what happens when we allow that? It ultimately causes destruction. It's not just us. Our pride affects those around us. I've seen this happen. I've seen it. it and, and what is Jesus describing here? It'd be better than a, that, that a millstone be hung around their neck. Jesus is using hyperbole. It's, it's an extreme example to, to make a point, right? And I think this is in the context, really, of, of believers in, in his teaching is there a more clear description of regret than to say it would be better to have a millstone hung around my neck and cast into the ocean when I consider that my pride has been a stumbling block for a brother or sister in Christ and caused them to fall away from Jesus, fellowship with God. That's what pride does. It's destruction in the church. It's destruction around me. 
And I think we can place ourselves there to say, no way, this is a terrible thing. And if I realize truly what has gone on, that my pride, because I've refused to let go of my pride, I have caused division, I've caused destruction, I've caused a stumbling block for my brothers and sisters so that now some have fallen into sin. They've broken fellowship with God. God hasn't let them go. That's important to understand. If they're actually a believer, a child, a least of these, right? A child of God. They're still a child of God. But you have been the cause for them to stumble. That's regret. That it would be better for me that I would just be cast in the ocean. An extreme picture of saying, I am not loving Christ here. I am doing the opposite. I am causing damage within his body. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. Matthew 18 is going to be talking about sin. And we're going to get more into just the seriousness of sin. But it's important to realize as we go through this, what is God's purpose with sin? What is God's purpose even talking about it? Because what is our natural tendency? When we start dealing with sin and the sinner, is blame and condemnation. That's, that's why we want to hide. But we sing about Hosanna, the God who saves, Right? His purpose is salvation. He died on the cross. His whole purpose here, as he's said, his focus on Jerusalem is to go to the cross and to pay for our sin on the cross so that if we put our faith in him, if we desperately cry out to him and say, there's nothing good in me, there's nothing that I have that can save myself, I need you, and put our faith in Christ completely that we can be saved because he paid for our sin on the cross. His purpose there was to provide salvation. And, and even now within our church, as God is working, and, and we're struggling with the fact that sin exists. Sin exists in me and it exists in you. And we're going to have this working out of relationship in the midst of having sin to deal with. God's purpose is salvation. Ultimately, he's going to deliver a kingdom to the Father that is free of sin. The last enemy for him to conquer is going to be death. There will be no sin. There will be no death. I can't wait to, to that point where together we will be there, us, together with Christ, and sin will be no more. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? That's why he's teaching us these things. So that even now, in this time, while we still deal with the flesh, we can begin to walk free of sin. So when he says humble yourself like a child, it's for your good. It's for your blessing. It's so that you can begin to walk in the freedom, the life that we have in Christ, free from sin. And as, as he's going to teach us more things about dealing with sin and the sinner, each other, it's going to be for the purpose of salvation. We are saved, right? 
completely saved. We're not, we're not going to be removed from the hand of, of God if we put our faith in Him. But salvation continues in sanctification as, as we don't have to live bound by sin. I, you should be able to look back the year past and the year before that. Say, where was I there? Be able to see God's been doing something in me. The struggle that I have with sin is not the same as it was then. There might be things that you're just going to deal with for the rest of your life, but you should be able to see God has been at work. He's been working to, to free me from this bondage of sin. This is my pride. It, it, I think it's significant. He starts with pride here in dealing with sin. What, pride is one of those things you can pretty much tie to every single kind of sin. Pride's involved, Right? Everything that is sinful. And it's a weird one because there's a good way to say, you know, I'm proud of you. That's not, that's not a bad thing. But when pride is trying to elevate self above others, when it's, when it's really at its fundamental issue, elevating myself before God, it is a root of every sin. And so he says, Humble yourself. Become like this child. You want to be great. Change your thinking. Turn it upside down. Reverse it. You want to be the greatest among them? Become the least. Follow me. Do what I do. And as a result, we will have life in Jesus Christ. Life abundant. I can picture Jesus in that room among his disciples, Jesus picked a bunch of teenagers acting like teenagers, acting like we do. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And he didn't just yell at them, you don't get it. No, he took a child, child on his knee, the center of that room, said, here, let me show you. Become like a child, the least. That's how you become great in my kingdom. We need to become like children. Lord Jesus, I pray that you just, by your Holy Spirit, do the same thing in this room. Convict our hearts for pride. Convict my heart for pride. Lord, I want to be used by you. I want to be a vessel of righteousness. God, I want to be one who, by my actions, I'm loving you. I'm loving your body. I'm doing things that are real, that, that aren't just by, by the world's standards good, but by your standards good, that you would see as good. And Lord, I know by your teaching, I have to be humble in order to be used by you. Lord, humble us. Destroy pride within us. Lord, help us to become vessels of righteousness, not to glorify ourselves, just like John's talking about. We're the donkey. That we're the instrument to glorify you. And Lord, for us as a church to be able to enjoy the abundant life that comes 
and we submit to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the life that we have in you. Thank you, Lord, that you continue to work your salvation within our lives, not just salvation from the punishment of sin, but salvation, Lord, from sin itself. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. He's the light of the world. 
Jesus, you are the Lord of all, the one who lowered himself to the lowest of lows to take on our sin and has now been raised as the, the King of all kings, Lord of lords, name above all names is the Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for the salvation that you have brought us so that even as we're struggling with sin, we can hold on to Romans 8, 1, which says, There is therefore now no condemnation. God, if there's anyone here that's just feeling the weight of sin, Lord, I just pray that you give them the courage to confess that to you, to look to you, Lord, for reconciliation with their God. In you there is salvation, and in you, Lord, we are washed clean. It doesn't matter what we've done. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, ask Him. He wants to be your Lord and Savior, and He will forgive every sin. And maybe you've been walking. You've already asked Him. You, are, you already are a child of God, but, but you've just been holding on to something. Give that to Him. When we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Jesus, thank You for the cleansing, forgiving, sanctifying work of Your blood on the cross. Thank You that we can walk in freedom from sin because of You. Lord, let us as a church Walk in that freedom with love for each other, loving the least, and loving you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you, church. Go in the Lord.